Well, today we're going to celebrate the voca- celebrate God's use and God's calling, and I hope I have this right, of the men here today in the military service that they, were, that they had done for God's glory, even, if though, even though they might not have known it, for God's glory, and frankly, for your good, all of our goods, amen? So before we start this, I want to make one major focus. Number one, this is all about God. Our country isn't great because of our forefathers, because of their constitution, because of whatever. It's because of God. That's number one. He always remains in that position. But praise God, he saw it fit to raise this country up that we can serve him freely. Amen and worship Him freely. So please don't get that mixed up. Number two, I tried my best to find out who did and who did not serve in the military in some form. Am I missing somebody? Did I not talk to you? How many of you have served in the military? Please stand. Then I'll know for sure if I missed anybody. Okay. Rodney, did you serve in the military? Okay. All right. They're just standing. <laughs> all right. So I have everybody. It is all men in this, in this church. It is all men that served in that capacity. So today, they're going to be part of, the minister, part of the church service the whole time until the preaching. But we are also going to do this. We're also going to sing our national anthem. We are going to sing... Um, my country, tis of thee, because it's tis of thee. America the beautiful, because of thee. When we sing these songs, I pray that we do not become so American-minded that we're no godly good. That is not the intention. America has become a great nation because of him. That is the intention. Thank you, Lord, for raising this country up. And it's going through a lot of flaws. And it still has a lot of flaws. And you're going to hear flaws even in George Washington when he prays. These are theological flaws. They weren't all evangelical Christians. Amen. We know what the Word says. And we are thankful that God raised. Why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because we're starting in Jonah this week, right? Jonah was such a rabid nationalist that he didn't want to see his enemies saved. If that is our attitude, you better check your salvation. It goes so well with what we've been dealing with for the last weeks in our CE hour, in our church services. And God fittingly put July 4th right here in our laps as all of this has a lot of similarities and a lot of principles that can be used. So let's all stand this morning as we start our service out with faith of our Father, or a mighty fortress is our God.
so people can hear. Could someone take this over? I'm going to start with Mr. Hurd. If you want to come on over here. And Mr. Hurd served in the military, and he'll tell you what branch and what years and whatever he'd like about his military service as he was serving God in the military. I was in the Navy, um, a division called the Seabees, and I served from uh, in the September of 68 into 1970, and it was a short service, but during that time I was in Vietnam for a year, and where I was stationed, what we did was, um, it was a port, and so it was unload the ships and supply um, the Marines and the Army and other uh, things that were going on with their with their supplies, and, and so it was to keep them fed and uh, see that they had their bullets and everything else that they needed. So they had warehousing and, and um, refri big refrigerators that store their food and, and um, built roads and, and uh, schools and other things at that time. And my rank at that time was uh, E4 and uh, my grade was a uh, construction mechanic uh, three. I uh, served in the military as a tanker. I was a tank commander. Uh, I never really saw any combat. The closest we got to that was we would run minesweeps with the 52-ton tanks up on the DMZ and detonate them just so another jeep didn't come on and detonate them because they had guys coming across from North Korea that were trained for years just to make a run across the DMZ to plant mines. And our job is to go at 2 o'clock in the morning and run a minesweep on them to make sure that they, we detonated them before somebody else did. I served from 19, March of 1967 until October of 1969. And how many of you remember the USS Pueblo? You've got to be pretty old to remember that. Amen. We were, as a tank commander, we had our tanks up there on red alert and we're actually able to watch the men of the SSS Pueblo walk across the bridge out of North, Vietnam, North Korea. So that was a quite an experience. And I was up in Panmunjom, of course, where right on the DMZ. But uh, that's pretty much it. I was, a, I was an E5. I was actually not even, I wasn't a sergeant. I was a specialist. And Justin, Josh can tell you what that is. Uh, but for some reason, they made me a tank commander which I really shouldn't have been at that rank, but yet I was proud to serve for that, and uh, I was I got out in 1969 October. I was always short, <laughs> but I served from 1983 to 1987. It was all peacetime, but I. I went into Fort Bliss, Texas. I did OSA at five months of basic training. Normal people got eight weeks. I had five months. 
It was, <laughs> it was probably the worst five months of my life. <laughs> then I went from there to Fort Benning, jump, Fort Benning, and I did jump school there. And then I went to the 82nd Airborne in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which I, I was a Stinger missile gunner, and I supported the 1st of 325 Infantry and the 1st Ranger Battalion, so whenever they were deployed, I was deployed with them. I was a combat infantry. I was, and during peacetime, it was pretty tough when you would be deployed and be disappointed that there was no combat. But looking back at it, I'm very grateful, very grateful. And there's something that a lot of people miss out on in it, in this Star-Spangled Banner. I'd like to read the fourth verse to you. Oh, thus it be ever when freemen shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation, Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. I'm proud to have served, and I'm I wish I would have been a saved man when I was in there. I probably could have done a lot more. Thank you. Okay. Well, I wasn't a Christian when I went in. And I uh, had some Christian friends. And I learned some things from them. I was in the Marine Corps from 19, January of 1971 to only November of 72. Vietnam has been winding down. They were calling off the troops. And Easter of that year of 72, we were issued weapons and issued ammunition, put on helicopters. They thought they could not keep the peace agreement and they decided that they would keep the peace agreement. And so the Vietnam War was kind of officially over in that Easter of 72. So I, uh, and that was, by November, I was come back from overseas off the coast of Vietnam. I was over there. I got three stars for Vietnam for just being in the water each different time. So we went back and forth to Vietnam, and then we'd go out of water, and then we'd come back in. And my job was a radio operator, and in combat, they figure you got about five minutes or less when you're a radio operator. But I didn't do that on land, but I did it on ships, and I was... Navy. I was on a Navy ship, USS Tripoli, and my job was listen to radio calls from pilots, jet pilots over Vietnam, and I would write down the location, Mayday, Mayday, then they'd give their latitude and stuff and longitude where they were going down, and that's what I did most of the time. What I learned in the service, I learned responsibility, dedication, and work. I, uh, it carried me through much of my life because I was very immature when I went into the service. And it, Marines, they have a saying, once a Marine, always a Marine. And I've, that's pretty much true because it's helped me. I have done Awana clubs and King Kids and all these different clubs. And you, sometimes we had 200 kids in club. And if you could not control 200 kids, you know, that was quite a job. And then it, my, my service helped me also in the job of working in the prison for 29 years. So 
I believe God had a purpose for me, even not being a Christian, to be in the military at that time. So I uh, did. I I liked the service, and I it it just helped me, like a lot of other young men. Thank you. Uh, I'm, all my time was peacetime. I served from 1986 to 1992 as a combat engineer and also as in um, U.S. Army Reserve, so I was just basically a weekend warrior. But I did go build some airstrips, and during that time, what was interesting, which is not now, is we were still somewhat in a cold war with Russia, so there was the thinking was still a little different back then, but... Um, I was proud to serve in the 492nd Combat Engineer Units, and it would be a time I would never get back. I learned so much. I wasn't a believer at the time, but there's just many things you learn and how you perceive things, and I'd never trade it for anything else. All right, so uh, two things quick to know about me is don't ever count weekend warrioring down because I served with several different branches, active duty, uh, Reserve National Guard. Minnesota has the number one National Guard in America, period, hands down. And there isn't a branch that served with them that'll tell you otherwise. Also, don't forget about the wives of the soldiers. These ladies go through heck between worrying about their men while they're gone and running that house without a man in it and then dealing with the chaos that he brings home with him after combat, they're serving probably a harder battle than the guys are. So never forget about our wives. Um, mine's a real trooper, she's put up with a lot. <laughs> um, I joined the Army when I was 17. I was a kid, it was my way of getting out of New York. I was a combat engineer when I first went in. It's a great career. Uh, my job as, an, as a combat engineer was I operated a sea truck and we would build bridges and then blow them up after our troops got across them. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, later on in life, I became a tanker. <laughs> and uh, usually they're not as tall as you. They're more my height. <laughs> um, uh, so I, uh, that's caught me off guard. I, I, did, I was an M1 Abrams tank commander for a while. Uh, and eventually I decided that... Uh, Tanking was great, and it was a lot of fun blowing stuff up still, but everything was so heavy. So I switched over and became a cavalry scout, uh, which is kind of the last of the cowboys in the military. Uh, some of us even still ride horses today in, into combat. Uh, well, I shouldn't say today. As of 2012, when I retired, we were still doing it. Um, I, I served for 22 years. I have five deployments under my belt. I went to Panama. As a very young man, I went to the Balkans uh, for my second deployment. My third one, I was lucky enough to stay home, and I used that very carefully because it wasn't lucky. It was 9-11, and I was helping out clean up that mess and deal with all the aftermath and the different security measures that were put into place. Then uh, I married my wife <laughs> shortly after that, who very quickly after saying our vows, she watched me get on a plane and head to Iraq for two years. And uh, then I came home for about a year, shipped out and did another one uh, for another year in Iraq, and then I retired out. So she's been around the block a few times with the, the repercussions of combat and soldiers. Uh, I don't regret a minute of it. I'd probably still be in today if a heart attack hadn't got me eventually kicked out. God's way of forcing me to keep a promise. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So that's about it. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, close out this portion in uh, a prayer for our nation and. Yeah. Lord God, glorious, wonderful Father, we just uh, pray to you this afternoon to give praise and thanks for the blessings that you've poured out on us as a nation, as uh, Christians, as brothers and sisters in the faith, Lord. You've just blessed us tremendously in so many ways, and uh, even though we're making a mess of things down here, and we desperately need you to uh, come back, return, and clean up the mess, we, we will just... Uh, we just ask that you would give us the strength to stand firm in your word and to always have the courage to, to fight the good fight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. see if I can't I don't want to shut that down I'm sorry I'm trying to get this right here I'm already made a mess of things I'm sorry I don't know how to do all of this All right. We are going to be preaching on Jonah now. That's why we have been preaching uh, last week. We talked about Christian nationalism. We've been teaching on doctrine of vocation, theology of vocation, and how that we integrate our faith into whatever God has called us to do, including the military. Um, anything that God has called us into, we need to glorify Him and serve Him and obey Him Jonah did not do that. As you know, how many have ever heard of the story of Jonah? It's so out there, right? One person. You're a bunch of liars. Every one of you. Everybody's heard the book of Jonah, right? Everybody knows the story of Jonah. Well, there's so many interesting truths that are found here, but the principles are alive and well today. I am not going to say that Jonah is or the church is the new Jonah. I'm not going to say that. That's allegory, that's wrong, that's inappropriate. But the principle that God is trying to share with us about Jonah is alive and well today in the church. Where Jonah was all about being awesome in his nice little country, but when it came to outsiders, we don't want them saved. We want nothing to do with them. And I will turn my back on God to not let that happen. Well, it's kind of hard to make God do what He doesn't want to do. And God had ways. And we all know about, how many have ever heard of Jonah and the whale? How many were upset when you found out that's a lie because there was no whale mentioned in Jonah. 
How many have ever heard of Jonah and the dogfish? Has anybody ever heard that? Literally in, in the Mediterranean Sea, there was a dogfish that could literally swallow people and they wouldn't die. Say, well, that just kind of pushes uh, miraculously of God. No, 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 no. God designed that fish long before Jonah. It actually enhances the text. Amen. So Jonah is very interesting. Jonah was a prophet of who? Israel. He was a prophet of Israel. In this story, in this story, I shouldn't say that, in this historical event, we are, Lord willing, going to go through who the author is. Believe it or not, there are, well, I won't get into that. We'll get into it when we talk about the author. Obviously, is there a problem with the author? What, who's, who did author this? Many people don't believe Jonah did. And we'll discuss that. We're going to look at the historical context. The historical context is one of the greatest times in Israel's life. The successes were off the chart, and they were being evil. Well, God actually saved a people, then used that same people to destroy them. Talk about embarrassing. Jeroboam II is this reign. The biblical context, what is this all about? What is the whole context? And I would argue, I will argue, that Jonah is kind of like a synopsis of all of the prophets in a very concise book. I remember hearing that Jonah is, oh, they're just, it's just a minor prophet. How many have ever heard of that? Do you know what minor means? All that it means is it's the small book. It has nothing to do with importance. When it says minor prophets, it doesn't like, well, they're kind of like second-class prophets. No, 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 no. This guy is a prophet of God. And every servant of God, which all of you are, are equal in God's eyes. Amen. I think minor is a poor choice of words to be there, to be honest with you, in today's vernacular. Because it's just simply a small book. That's why it's called the minor prophets. But unfortunately, it gives us the wrong context. Then we're going to go to the theological aspects of this book. Are there theological aspects found in Jonah? Oh my goodness, yes. Are those theological aspects and understandings helpful for the church today? Absolutely. Not because we are them. It's because this is how God deals with people. And how God deals with people is always the same. He doesn't change. He's always the same. How does God deal with these people? And what is God's desire? Well, God's desire in the book of Jonah is to save a wicked, horrible, nasty, worldly, pagan people for himself. And these guys were pretty nasty. At one time, I, heard, I have heard that they literally flayed alive people to torture them. That's pretty tough. That's pretty barbaric. Lastly, we will get to the exegesis of it. We will book or verse by verse, word through word, go through the whole book of Jonah. Now, I don't see this taking five years. All right. 
I do not see that happening. <laughs> but I will tell you, we are going to be thorough. I do not like being unthorough. And so we will, we will dive into this. We will try our best to understand what took place in Jonah's life, how those principles apply to our life, see the theological aspects, see how God deals with us in those aspects, in those different situations. And then to be all honestly, Jonah does, in a sense, mirror the church today. Not that it is. But after God saved the barbaric heathens that eventually will destroy their country, and frankly, it's very possible that there were relatives of Jonah that were killed by the Assyrians, for they were, they were trying to probe the perimeters of Israel and killed some of them. The hatred was quite strong for him to turn his back on God, regardless. And then to be told by God, you give them the gospel per se? You tell them about God and tell them to repent? One thing Jonah did have for him, he had a high view of God. Do you know why he had a high view of God? I know if God tells me to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent, God's going to make them repent and God's going to save them. And I don't want that to happen. How do we know that? By the end of the story, he's having a pity party under a bush because he didn't get his way and the barbarians know Christ, know God. You say, well, we're not like that. We're just like that in many ways. All right, that's the goal. That's the overall picture in 10 minutes. Way to go. Concise in short. Let's talk about the author. It's interesting. Jonah's name. Jonah's name is means dove. When you think of a dove, what do you think of? Peace. That's that's the American idea, right? Of dove as a peace. So what was a dove in biblical times? Okay, I'm hearing lots of go ahead. Okay, good. The one brought, that brought back the fig leaf on the ark. Good. Sacrifice. Good. But what was a dove? We picture this dove, this beautiful white bird that's so cool, you know, it's got this nice little coo and, and it does beautiful things and it's all peaceful. It's a pigeon. The dove is a pigeon. Here's the reality. As one author says it, and I agree with it 100%, he's a homer pigeon. Or a homeboy pigeon. And he was. Everything was about Israel and his family and his group. Nobody else mattered. It was so bad, he literally, literally turned his back and walked away from God. Pretty bold. Regardless, his name means dove. He's from the, Ga he's from the city of Gath Heifer. How many have ever heard of Gath Heifer? My grandmother, I love her to death. She was, I love my grandmother. I love my, all my grandparents. They just treated me like 
royalty. Isn't that awesome when the grandkids get treated like royalty? Oh my goodness. How many remember your grandmother and they, I mean, oh, my grandmother was so cool. Here's, I'll give you a quick story about my grandma. When I was a kid, I had a problem with being timid and shy. And just like a lot of other people, when you got rid of the binky, you used your thumb. I didn't like my thumb, but I liked my finger. And so I sucked my finger until I was eight or older. And I remember sitting in a place called Ossipee, Minnesota, at my grandma and grandpa's house. We're having birthday cake for Tim. Ooh, this is cool. And everybody's sitting around, and I'm all nervous, and I stick my finger in my mouth. This is the last time I remember doing this. I think it was my seventh or eighth birthday. And my dad just, Tim! Ooh, you know, army man. Get that out of your mouth. My grandmother looked at him sternly, said, Tim, you go ahead and keep that in. Anyways, she called people old heifers. (laughs) That's why I remember Gath Heifer. I mean, if anybody she didn't like, that old heifer. She was uh, Native American and French, 100%. And it came through well. Regardless, Gath Heifer is something we never hear of. But I will tell you where that's from, and we're going to take a break here for a second. This gives you the the geographical idea of what's going on. We have three different cities, and I will show you where that fourth city is, if I can find. Yes, I can. Laser. Oh, can you see it? Oh, can we get rid of that? Thank you. I'll help you. This is important, so I'm going to help you guys get get a... get an idea of what's going on. First of all, Joppa is not where he was born. Get that out of your head. That's wrong. He was born, there's right here, you can't tell very well, but right here is a little uh, lake called um, the Dead Sea. How many have ever heard of that? And just above it runs the Jordan River up to a little lake called the Sea of Galilee. And we'll show you that shortly. The Sea of Galilee is approximately right here. And right to the, I'm going to try to get this right, to the west of, this, of the Sea of Galilee is this little town called Gath Heifer. Here's another interesting point. So that's where he lived. That's where he grew up right there. He went down to Joppa when he was told to go to Nineveh he left and went west and then went, wanted to go west to Tarshish. Did he want to get away? Okay, so do you see this issue here too? I want to bring your attention to this. From, from Joppa to Nineveh is 550 miles. By the way, how many know where Nineveh is? I'm going to give you a name. It's not right in town, but it's a town, it's very, very close. Mosul, Iraq. How many have ever heard of Mosul? All you army guys should have heard of it. 
because that was a major, I think there was a, even a U.S. Uh, uh, fort there, partially, if you will, barracks or whatever it was, place where they, in Mosul, and they are attacked daily. But the point is, it's part of the Iraq war, Mosul was a big deal. Anyways, from Joppa to Nineveh is 550 miles from, from um, Gath Heifer to, to Nineveh would have been something like 450 to 500. God told me to go there, so I'm going to travel 2,500 miles to a different place. Obviously, the motivation was quite big in his heart of what he wanted to do and how much he, which gives, it's, this is hard because we can't judge motives, but it seems like he hated the Assyrians. He hated them. So here's, I told you about the Sea of Galilee before. So here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's what I didn't tell you. So to the west of there is a little town called Nazareth. What does that ring a bell with? Jesus of Nazareth. Gath Heifer is three miles from Nazareth. Do you remember in the text of Scripture a couple of verses? One of the verses says, Look for the, I gave you a sign, the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah talking about specifically? Three days and three nights, and we'll get into that, what that means. Reality is, it's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, right? And that was a sign. But there's more to it than just that. How many remember, and this is what's really, really good, and I can't, Verify all this, but it works and it fits. There's a passage of Scripture talking about Nazareth that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Why? Maybe nothing had. The theologians don't know exactly. Some of them say, well, what that's talking about is Jesus is going to come as a servant and die and all that just doesn't look, be looked at as good. I, I think that's ridiculous. There's some kind of hatred of Israel as a whole towards Nazareth. I truly believe this. Doug Bookman would book, back me up on this. How many see this little town called Sepphoris? Sepphoris was a town named, uh, built by Rome for their gods. They were, the whole town was full of temples worshiping the gods of Rome. Where did the workers come from to build Sepphoris? They came from Nazareth. We know that from historical data. Well, let me ask you, if they're coming from Nazareth to go to Sepphoris, you fill in the blank. Are they not coming from Gath Heifer to, Naz to, to Sepphoris? The point I'm trying to say is this area 
I believe, was hated because of their involvement in building temples on the motherland. How many understand? Two pagan gods. They hated them. They hated them. That's one theory. Let me give you another one. Nazareth, and would you say three miles is nothing? When you say Nazareth, no one says Gath. How many have ever heard of Gath Hefer? Nazareth is a town, but it may be a little bit also bigger than that. Here's the deal. What if you knew that the guy prophet from this place went to the enemies, they repented and believed, and within 20 years, they came and took us away. How many would say, oh yeah, there'd be some hatred there? So I can't tell you why the text says nothing good comes out of Nazareth, but I've given you two theories, and both of them involve Jonah and Jesus. How many understand that? They were both, by the way, was Jesus also a prophet? Absolutely. There are many similarities between Jonah and Jesus. Obviously, Jonah was a putz. But let's be honest, most Christians are. So, now you see, this is the Jordan River, Sea of Galilee, right state west. And by the way, does anybody know what this is? All you eschatological buffs should love that. This here, these are mountains. Right here is the side of the mountain. You can see that black. And this is a valley. This is, I don't remember how high this is. But Gath Heifer, three miles away, even Cana, look at how close that is. So this area, separate, okay, this is called the Valley of Megiddo. Now do you eschatological buffs know what I'm talking about? All right. So anyways, that's what it looks like. That's where he's from. To give you another idea, this helps you a little bit see the valley. As you can see, the Sea of Galilee, these are mountains. You can tell they're mountains, right? Nazareth. Gath Hepper, Sepphoris, you could call it anyway. And then you see all this farmland right through here. See that? That's the Valley of Megiddo. Now this was for another topic, but this helps understand. By the way, right in the middle of the Valley of Megiddo, we have Mount Tabor. That ring a bell biblically? All right, let's go on. At this time in, our, in the history of when Jonah was uh, uh, oh, see, we're already out of time. The kingdom of Israel, there were two of them. It had split up. There was now a kingdom of Israel and a kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel on the north side, the kingdom of Judah on the south side. What happened to the kingdom of Israel? They went into captivity to where? Assyria. Judah. Judah went first, by the way. Where did Judah end up being into captivity? Babylon. Where's Babylon and Nineveh? They're in the same country today. Right? Babylon was up on the Tigris-Euphrates area too. Literally, Nineveh is on the east side of the Tigris River. Matter of fact, I will show you. We'll get into it. It means Dove, Gath, Hepner, 
Uh, I was going to give you all, okay, I can give you all the best passages. If we were to look at all the Bible passages in Jonah, in all of Scripture, you come up with very, very few. Matthew 12, 39 was the one I just talked to you about, the sign of Jonah. That's discussed in that passage of Scripture. For sake of time, we will not go through that. Luke 32 is the same type of thing. It's just the gospel um, correlation there. Luke's talking about the same thing that Matthew's talking about, the sign of Jonah. But the one we read this morning in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23 through 27 specifically, although Tim read more because I asked him to, that talks about when he was there. He was there during the, the rule of Jeroboam II, and Israel saw the greatest expansion and peace since Solomon's time, and though they were wicked. So, where is his life? This is where his life is in time frame. This is important. It's very interesting. People want to get very specific. When did Jonah go to Nineveh? What date was that? Well, we'd have to look in the record books, and they wouldn't tell you, or they would tell you a time span. Here's what authors are doing. It's in the 8th century. Oh, that's helpful. How <laughs> many understand that? <laughs> it's in the 8th century. Well, that's 100 years, so what is that? We can get a little bit more specific than that. It's not just this time frame between the 7th right here. It's, it's more narrow than that. We know some historical archaeological aspects during this time. We can be pretty dogmatic, and I don't have my my notes open because I've been memorizing this. It's somewhere between the earliest date is 725 and the latest date is 748. But it's somewhere between, I would say this is very, very fair, up to 754 is the latest date I have found. So this 50 years is about the time frame. That's the closest I can get. But it's better than the century, right? I gave you only 50 years instead of 100, so I split that in half. That's about the time frame. What was going on during that time? We have uh, other prophets such as Isaiah during that time. We have Israel Falls. We have uh, um, Micah, Hosea, Amos. Amos taught during, matter of fact, Amos was adamant against Jeroboam II. He was angry with him because of what was going on. But does this help you understand what's going on? It, Jonah's very much like Elijah and Elisha and other ones that they went to Gentile peoples to tell them about God. Jonah did the same thing. The Jonah of timeline, here's this one gives us 722 to 794, but really that's not specifically Jonah. But so many people believe Jonah begins his prophetic ministry in 760. That's right in that's right after the 750. And then Saragon of Assyria conquers Israel. That's 722. That's way too far. They have him going there in 725. But I, I, I just can't swallow that. And that's why people say it's the 8th century. Are we going to stay with the 8th century? All right. That time frame is when he was... Isaiah begins prophetic mystery in 755. And we know this because of these guys. But it's interesting, Jonah doesn't give us those specific guys. He says, King of Nineveh. Who is that? We don't know. We don't know exactly who that is. Um, and so the, the, they're, they're more general and, and, and vague. 
All right. We're running out of time. Okay, we ran out of time. All right, how many are excited about learning about Jonah? I've introduced it. I'll give you some facts about it. Next week, we'll go to the historical aspects of it, what's going on. It's interesting, there's one author who believes that it was almost year to year that Nineveh was facing plagues, army revolts, um, uh, no food, no water, and then Jonah comes. And they're already primed to repent because they see it over and over and over again. And all that time, they are going and attacking Israel. Hey, maybe we shouldn't do that. Because <laughs> here's this Israel guy, and he's giving us what God did. Please repent. All right. We are, we are done for tonight. I'm going to do one more thing that I promised you. We're all going to stand, so if you want to stand during this time, we're going to sing. We aren't going to sing all the verses, I apologize. Um, and it's hard to find a... All right, we're going to hang on. We're going to stop that. And we'll go through the whole thing here.
Praise God for giving us this freedom. But it's God first, always, always, always. At this time, I'm going to have the men that were up here go to the back, if you would, and thank them as they walk out, as they faithfully serve God by serving others. Because that's exactly what all of us should be doing. These men specifically serve God in the military aspect. Make sure you talk to them on your way out. Scott McComsey, I'm going to have you close in a word of prayer, please, if you would. Thank you.